turn with me to James 1. Class, let me ask you a question, students. Does anybody remember what we talked about last Wednesday night? You're like, preacher, don't put us on the spot like that. You're like, I can't even remember what you preached on Sunday, much less last week. A week ago, what did we talk about? We talked about shoe leather Christianity, real religion. Oh, there it is. There it is right there. Verses 26 and 27, part one was James gives the first characteristic of somebody who has genuine spirituality in their life. And it's interesting that verse 27, would you look at your Bible, verse 26 there in James 1, if any man among you seem to be religious, that means he gives the impression that they're spiritual, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is in vain. Verse 27 says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. And so he's about to give the second characteristic of what it means to have genuine spirituality. And it's interesting that the wording there that God chooses to use, he said, pure religion and undefiled. Pure, undefiled religion. That terminology has reference to a flawless flawless diamond. Now, ladies... When I say that, you may want to take a look down at the diamond on your hand. (laughs) You may want to, you know, check it and see if it's real or if it's cubic zirconium (laughs) or anything like that. I don't don't know where my wife is. Don't ask her. She's a balcony person tonight. And uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, We all know what it is to have something that's fake. But the wording there that God chose to use was to refer to a diamond, a stone that was legit. It was real. It wasn't cloudy, but it was pure. It was flawless. And it may not be visible. The flaws or the flawlessness may not be distinguishable to the naked eye or to someone untrained. But that jeweler, when he puts that diamond under that glass, he can tell that it's flawless. You can tell that there's no blemishes in the stone. And that's the analogy, the word picture that God chose to use when talking about, trying to describe, helping us to understand what true, genuine spirituality is all about. Something that was just absolute, real, and genuine. Now listen, this is the antithesis of something that's fake. It's the opposite of something that's plastic. Something that's just put on. Nobody in their right mind likes anything fake or put on. That's repulsive and repugnant. And we draw back from that. Can I tell you tonight, don't you think the Lord Jesus draws back? When his people claim to be spiritual and claim to be religious, and yet we're not. There's not genuine spirituality. And so he gives that first characteristic in verse 26. So let me ask you again, how did you do on it last week? How did we do? How did you do? Turn that mirror around and let it face you. How did you do? 
that bridle in your tongue in the last seven days. You say, preacher, how'd you do? Because I asked myself the question, how did I do? You say, well, that's not that big a deal, is it? Yeah, it's as big a deal as God makes it. So again, I ask you, look at me right here. Everybody look at me. How'd you do at bridling your tongue? Oh, you may not have violated that verbally, but how about in a text message? Well, I was just sharing it as point of information because I heard it from somebody who heard it from somebody. Friend, it doesn't matter if it's a tongue or a text. Truth be told, truth be told, we, and I say we, and I don't just have a mouse in my pocket up here. I'm talking about we, us, Faith Free Will Baptist Church, may struggle with sins of the tongue more than any sin I know. And we justify it under the guise of holiness and righteousness and spirituality. And I'm just going to tell you again, gang, it's not because I said it, because I have no right to claim anything. I'm just telling you what the Bible says right here. God said if you can't control your mouth and your tongue, don't claim to be spiritual because you're not. So that's number one. And number one's a doozy. But number two is just as big a doozy as number one. So let's see what he says. Here's the second characteristic that God gives about real religion, true spirituality. So first of all, real religion involves self-control. Are you still with me tonight? You still with me? Say amen. Number two, real religion involves service. Service. He says to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. To visit the fatherless and the widows. What he's expressing here, gang, is social social concern. That there's a social element, there's a social aspect, that there's a social need, that a certain social socioeconomic group has. It's the fatherless and the widows. And he says that real religion, true, genuine, pure spirituality, visits those people. The word visit is an interesting word. It literally means to look out for or to care for someone. It means to act as an overseer or a shepherd. It's closely akin to what a pastor's role is. But it goes beyond that, and it's not just referring here in James 1.27 to pastors. It's referring to all Christians. 
It means to visit with help or guidance with whatever they need. It doesn't just mean to drop in and chat and then leave. It goes beyond that. It goes deeper. And it is implying and plainly stating that there is a group of individuals, not just in the church but in society, that need and legitimately need a helping hand. People to reach out to them. People to love on them. I want you to listen to Matthew 25, verse 35 and 36. Because this is what Jesus was speaking of. He uses the same word in James 1, 27 that he uses in Matthew 25, verse 36. Listen carefully. He says, For I was unhungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Now, in just a moment, we're going to read a passage in Hebrews chapter 13 where he says, don't forget to entertain strangers. In other words, don't forget, literally, he says, to open up your home and your heart to people that are different from you. Open up your heart and home to strangers. (laughs) You're like, is he talking about strange people? No, literally the, the word stranger there means a foreigner. Or someone that is not at home in your area. (laughs) Someone that didn't grow up in your city or your town or your country, but they're just visiting. They're from somewhere else and they have nowhere to lodge, nowhere to go, nowhere to eat. They didn't have restaurants on every corner back in that day in first century. You realize that, right? So if individuals were going to eat, they either brought their own food, packed their own food, or somebody, some kind-hearted individual and soul had to be willing to open their hands, open their heart, and open their home. Boy, I'm not sure we practice that much today, do we? He says, don't forget. To entertain strangers. And he, Jesus said, hey, I was a stranger. And you took me in. You opened your heart, your hands, your home to me. And, and, and verse 26 is very interesting. Uh, he said, naked and ye clothed me. In other words, I was without clothes. You brought me clothes. I was sick. And watch this. You, you visited me. Jesus said, you did what, what is being referred to here in James 1.27. You came to me. You visited me. You reached out to me. You helped meet my needs. I was in prison and you came to me. So Jesus here is referring to the visiting of the sick and afflicted and those in need. So he identifies those who we are to visit. And he says the fatherless and the widows, the orphans, those who had been abandoned, perhaps, yes. Those whose parents were deceased, yeah. Somebody that was fatherless, somebody that was an orphan, didn't have the proper care that they needed. They didn't have the proper clothing. They would not have had the proper food, the proper health care, the proper training or nurturing or anything like that. They would, as we would say, they would be the disenfranchised. Nowhere else, uh, no other group in the first century was as disenfranchised as the fatherless and the widows. 
There was no government program. There were no handouts. There was no welfare. Nothing like that. Many of these individuals were left to basically beg. And unless they had family members that they could reside with or who just took it upon themselves to give the oversight and the care, in other words, if they didn't have anybody else to bring them under their wing or into their home or into their family, they literally many times were left destitute on the street. That's why in the days of Christ, and by the way, those of you who have been to third world countries, you see this over and over again, literally people living on the street. And even in our city, people living on the street. You go to a larger city, Raleigh, Charlotte, you certainly go out west or up north to New York, Baltimore, out in L.A., San Diego, where the climate is much better. And these individuals flock there. Well, they had this, a, a, a predominance of this in Jesus' day. So many beggars. That's why over and over and over again, you see Jesus coming in contact with beggars. You're like, well, they're professional beggars. Yes, I understand. But Jesus is referring to those individuals who didn't have proper care. In the Old Testament, the proper care for widows and orphans was commanded as a sign of true worship of God and as a way to reflect his character in his heart. Listen to Psalm 68 verse 5. He said, God is a father to the fatherless. Can I tell you tonight, that verse when I was a teenager, a senior in high school, became very important, very precious to me. He's a father to the fatherless and a judge of the widows. In other words, he's he's the one who will take the case of the widows and he will make sure that they are not defrauded. He'll make sure that they get their day in court. He'll make sure that they get provided for because of the heart that God has for the orphans and the widows. In fact, he says in 1 Timothy 5 verse 3, Honor the widows that are widows indeed. In other words, there's nobody other than the church to take care of them. They truly have. They've been left without a spouse, without support, without care, and without somebody to, to protect them and take care of them. And he says, listen, church, that's the responsibility of God's people to help take care of the widows. That's the local church responsibility. No wonder in the early church there in Acts chapter 6, they took it so seriously when there was a complaint from the widows that they had been neglected in the distribution of food. And that's where we see the first deacons that were raised up and trained up so that they could help with this legit need. God says, I want you to understand, this is the people I'm talking about. These were the people that... Uh, 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 were pitiful, they were needy, they were defenseless, they were disenfranchised. There was no other group like that in the early church as, uh, as quite like the, those that were fatherless and the widows. So these verses, Psalm 68, 5, 1 Timothy 5, 3, it shows God's special care for the fatherless and the widows. God cares about them. He uses the word here. He says, I want you to go to where they are and help them in their affliction. 
The word affliction there simply means pressure, their anguish, their burdens, their problems. You're like, man, they got a lot of problems. Yeah. And Jesus said, I want you to go to them and help alleviate some of their problems. You visit them, you enter into their burden. You get alongside of them and you help shoulder that load. Right in the midst of their anguish and their stress and distress. Help them out. So I want to ask you something. So is Jesus just talking about hospital visitation here? Is he just talking about nursing home ministry? No. What is he really saying to you and I in our culture and in our context? This is in the scripture. He says this is the second characteristic of somebody that has genuine spirituality that they're going to go visit the fatherless and the widows. What does that look like in 2017 for us? This involves at least two aspects. Number one, it involves serving people who legitimately need help. I mean, legitimately need help. And and can I tell you, God didn't say to, to spend half a day analyzing how they got to where they are. I wonder, why is it that they need help so bad? Well, I I don't know, but they need help. Well, is it because of sin? Well, it may be. (laughs) Might not be their own sin. It might be the sin and irresponsibility of somebody else. But do we want to waste two, three, four hours? Do we want to waste a week analyzing whether or not it's a, no, no, no. If it's a legit need, he says, and if it is within your power to help meet the need, help meet the need. Whatever that means. Serving them. You're like, well, I don't want to help somebody that can help themselves. I'm right there with you, friend. But he's not talking about people that can help themselves. Right? You understand that, right? He's talking about individuals that can't help themselves. That have a true, legit need. So he says, I want you to serve them. Certainly that applies to this, right? That would apply to us if we know somebody has a legit need and they can't help themselves totally with meeting that need. He says if you have knowledge of it and you have it within your power to help do something about it, whether it be time to help or the wherewithal financially to help or the expertise to give them advice to help, whatever it is. He said that is what he's talking about here and just jump in and go to work helping them with their legitimate need. But then I think it applies in another area. It involves, now this is the more difficult part. Now listen to me. It involves serving people who most likely are totally incapable of doing anything for you in return. In other words, they're not going to pay you back. You ever had someone come ask you and say, look, boy, sir or ma'am or brother or sister, I really need some help. I really do. But I promise you I'll pay you back. 
these individuals won't be saying that. They might say it, but they can't tell you that. They don't have it. They're probably not going to have it. They need help. And you don't need to bargain with them. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what, I'll come help you if next week you come help me. Isn't that what we do a lot? I had a buddy a friend, and, and we'd be eating something. We'd be at a restaurant, and he'd order his, and I'd order mine, and he'd look at me, and, and he'd say, hey, uh, CP, hey, uh, i tell you what, how about, how about I'll, I'll cut a part of this off, and you, I'll, I'll give you two bites of this if you can cut some of yours off, and if you'll let me have one bite or I'd be like, yeah, sure, you know. Well, what he's talking about here is the opposite of that. He's talking about here, I may not get two bites off of his plate. I may not get anything in return. By the way, isn't it the heart of Christian giving to give without expecting anything monetary back or in return? You're like, well, I thought the Lord honors us. Sure he does. I know God honors us. Yes, he does. But that doesn't mean that if I give to you in three weeks or a month or a year, you're going to give back to me. We don't do this for the reciprocation of receiving something back monetarily from somebody else. Brother, we do this. Sister, we do this. Number one, because it's right. Because we know this is the spirit of Jesus. And because he is honored in that. And number four, because it helps the person. And can I tell you right here, he's really diving deep in what our motives are for giving. And helping and serving and getting involved. Who's this referring to? Well, a lot of different groups and a lot of different people. You're still with me now, right? Right? I think it can refer to those who suffer from lack in third world countries, but also here in the United States, those in the inner city. Those in the inner city. Even in our own city. Those in legit poverty. Those who are unemployed but seeking work, trying to work, wanting to work. Those who are penniless, those who have been abandoned, abused, and taken advantage of. This has so many implications, and I'm not trying to get on a soapbox, don't have time to talk about this, but you do realize that across this world, There are young ladies and even young men and so many other countries and even here in the United States that have gotten abducted and placed, forced into the sex trafficking and those type of issues. You're like, no, no, that really doesn't happen, does it? Where have you been? You've been living under a rock? Yes, that happens. And it happens everywhere across this world. Surely, if this verse, if this principle affects anybody, it affects even individuals in those type of situations that have been absolutely abused, taken advantage of, abandoned. It 
has to do with those that don't have adequate representation by the government or the law even. He's speaking of those that are defenseless, those without help. And there's nobody to be their advocate. That's what he's talking about. He says, if you know there's a legit need, step in and stand up for them and reach down and serve them. That's the the heart of the cross. That's the heart of Jesus. That's the heart of our Savior who wants us to have his same heart. So the question is asked often in a big debate. What's more spiritual or biblical? Social work or ministry work? Because preacher, what you're describing sounds a lot like social work. Can I tell you, it's not a either or proposition. It's a both and. I mean, you read the same verse I just read, right? This is what it means. This is how it's understood. This is the application. And I believe it's not an either or. It's a both and. You meet the social need, the social aspect, and you give them the gospel. But if a man's hungry, and a man's legitimately hungry, and you have bread, or you have the wherewithal to give him some food, don't just go up like we talked about Sunday. Don't just go up and lay a track on him. Give him a ham sandwich and lay a track on him. You understand what I'm talking about? Oh, sir, God bless you here. Here's something that will help your soul. Hey, sir, you need to be saved. Yeah, I know I need to be saved. But I hadn't had a bite to eat in five days. God says, Jesus says here, if it's within your power to help meet that physical need, meet the need. You're like, you're preaching a social gospel. Can I say this? If that's what you think, you need to sue your brain for non-support. I'm preaching what Jesus preached. You say, I don't like that. I'm sorry. Your issue and problem is not with me. It's with the Bible and your Savior if you've got a problem. And it's not his fault that the church and the body of Christ for a long time hadn't really been hip on acting biblical like he says right here. I can't help that. It's time to change the church culture so we can transform this culture. He's talking about meeting needs. Getting out of our comfort zone. Actually doing something to get involved. I'll tell you what Isaiah Verse one, or chapter 1, verses 10 through 16 say, listen to this. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. He calls Israel Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I am full of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beast. In other words, I've had it up to here with your offerings. I delight not in the blood of bullocks or the lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. That's a drink offering. He said, don't bring that anymore. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the callings of assemblies, I cannot away with. In other words, I can't stomach that. 
Every time you turn around, you're t- t- oh, let's get together and meet. Let's get together and let's, let's have this service and that service. Let's make this sacrifice and that sacrifice. And he's telling them, listen, I'm sick of that. I'm sick of the outward. Because you don't have anything inward. You can have all the services you want. You can make all the sacrifices you want, Israel. And you can offer up prayer. And he goes on and he talks about it's iniquity to me. Your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They're a trouble unto me. I'm weary to bear them. And when you spread forth your hands in worship, by the way, I will hide my eyes from you. When you make many prayers, I will not listen to you. You're like, preacher, who is he talking to? He's talking to a bunch of religious Jews who were offering lambs, offering sacrifices left and right, having this important holiday, spiritual holiday, this meeting, this service, this outward thing. And he says, it doesn't mean a hill of beans to me, God said. He said, wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings, from before mine eyes and cease to do evil. Verse 17, he says, Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. In other words, those that are being oppressed by other people, you go defend them. He says, Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. In other words, you stand in my stead, you help judge and defend the fatherless, and you plead for the widow. Then you come talk to me, he said. Then I'll accept your sacrifices. Then I'll be pleased with your prayers. Then your services will mean something. And your, your, your holy days will be a testimony and they'll make the difference. But not until you get things in order and get things in line. You get in the cart before the horse, he's saying. I don't care about all the outward. If what I have given to you to do, you've ignored just because it's hard and difficult. So here's what I want to say about these verses. Meeting legit needs trumps outward and empty ritual and obligation. Meeting legit needs trumps outward and empty ritual and obligation. Hebrews 13, 1 through 3, let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. In other words, that some of you have had angels, messengers from God in your own home. And you didn't even realize it. But when you opened your door to them, they were my messengers. Remember them, he says, that are in bonds as bound with them. In other words, those that are in prison, you remember those who are in prison. Wait a minute. People in prison are there because they deserve to be there. How many times have you heard that? The writer of Hebrews says there are some folks in prison that don't deserve to be there. You go minister to them and you remember them who are in bonds. And them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. That tells us that true ministry is often hard, unpopular, and inconvenient. 
Do you know that to be the case? Can I tell you, friend, listen, my dear beloved, most of us struggle with this. I wasn't trying to be arrogant a while ago when I was saying that. I'm just telling you right now, we struggle with this. I struggle with this. I'd a whole lot rather stand up and sing or preach a sermon than go do what he's saying to do right here. You understand what I'm saying? 1 John 3, 17 and 18. Whosoever has this world's goods and sees his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwells the love of God in him? My children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. In other words, what he's saying is, hey, seriously, put your money where your mouth is. If you know somebody has a need and you have the ability to help meet the need, go meet the need. Don't wait on somebody to tell you to do it. Don't wait on to be guilt-tripped or moved to do it. You go do it if it's within your power and you can. Here's the big so what, okay? Preacher, you spent the whole service talking about this. So what? Well, let me tell you the so what. What does this mean? What's the big deal? Having a truly clean heart means that your hands are truly dirty in ministry. Get your hands dirty in ministry. He says if your heart's clean, your hands will be busy, your hands will be dirty from work. If your heart's clean. What's in your hands tonight? What you been doing for Jesus? Whose life have you been involved in? You see, ministry sometimes messy. You willing to get messy? You willing to get your hands dirty? Somebody hands you a shovel, what are you going to do with it? You going to drop it? Somebody hands you a rake, boy. We, somebody hands you a hammer. Hey, what are you going to do? You going to put it down and step back, or are you going to get your hands dirty? Talk is cheap, but true service is costly. Christian Powell's a good talker. I can talk and talk and talk and talk. I don't help anybody. I am to serve and we are to serve, expecting no kickback in return. Friend, that's the heart. That's the heart of true, genuine spirituality. God help me to embrace that and to live it. And all God's people said, Amen. Will you take your prayer sheet out, please, and look at it with me? You said there's a third one in there, isn't there, preacher? Yeah. We're going to talk about that in two weeks, all right? Same bat time, same bat channel, you'll be back, and it's sanctification. So we're going to see what Jesus says about sanctification. I want you to add a couple of names to the prayer sheet, would you please? Pray for the English.